Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Ralph Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Holly Weshi, owner of Weshi Jewelers. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, and I'm calling in from Los Angeles, as always, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com. As usual, these days, I'm calling in from New York City. Everything's good with you? Yeah, everything's good. You know, apart from the world blowing up, I woke up to the very sad news that Russia did in fact make good on its threats and invade Ukraine. So I don't know. I don't know how much that will affect us other than rising gas prices, but it certainly is not good news. Yeah, and and it could certainly affect the diamond industry, but that's probably a little bit down the road and we'll uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point. Now we have good news, though. Here's something good. What's that? Our guest. Oh, of course. Oh, my goodness. Yes. No, that was so implicit. I didn't even know. But yes, we have a, a guest who I don't believe I've ever had the pleasure of meeting in person. I'm trying to rack my brain over the years, but of course, her name precedes her. Her name is Holly Weshi. She is the owner of Weshi Jewelers in Melbourne, Florida. It's on the central Florida coast on the Atlantic side, uh, not far outside of Orlando. And it sounds just like a, a beautiful place to be. It's just down the road from Cape Canaveral. And we were chatting before we started recording about what it's like to watch those amazing rocket launches and what it was like to watch the shuttle part in the middle of the night. Anyways, Holly, welcome. It's so nice to have you. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And do you get very close to the rockets when you see them take off? How close are you? Well, when the shuttle used to launch out at the Cape, there were certain areas of the community that you can go, some of our causeways. There are certain public places that you could go and watch it. But to see a night launch was really, really spectacular. I mean, the shuttle, when it would go to take off, would light up the whole sky. But uh, we are glad to be in the Space Coast. That's what our Chamber of Commerce and our county calls it, because now we're kind of so used to rockets going off. You know, I could go to work and, then, oh, there's a rocket launch. You know, it's it's really, it's quite cool. Does SpaceX use Cape Canaveral too? Is it all kinds of rockets, not just NASA? Correct. All kinds. SpaceX does and Blue Origin is there. And it's really quite the hubbub of the space program right now. So we're, we're very proud of that and very excited about that. I love the idea of the Space Coast. I mean, not that we need to linger on this, but what makes Cape Canaveral or that central Florida coast so optimal for rocket launches? Well, I don't know specifically. I don't know if this is fact or more legend, but there is sort of this uh, rumor that the location of Cape Canaveral was very specifically selected. Less hurricanes hit there. There's something about the land and the geography of it, as well as, you know, Houston as well. There's something about, you know, the location on Earth that made that spot desirable. I do know a couple of astronauts who are friends, and they do say that the perspective will change you forever. To go launch into space and to look back and see the Earth, they say is pretty, pretty amazing. And it's one of those things that you can't really describe in words. You've got to experience it. One of these days, maybe we'll all get that opportunity. Well, Holly, I guess we can move from rocket launches and big ideas about 
our perspective on uh, on the universe down to the very nitty gritty granular world of beauty and luxury and jewelry. It's a family business and you're third generation, is that correct? That is correct. Third generation of jewelry retailers. Although when I was growing up, I had no thought whatsoever about coming into the business. You know, here, both my grandparents were in the jewelry industry. My great aunt and uncle owned Underwood Jewelers. My great uncle was Herb Underwood and he was very prominent in the industry and very involved in AGS and JA. And then of course my parents, but I really never thought about a career in the jewelry industry. In fact, I wanted to be in journalism. I did a lot of writing and a lot of journalism all through high school and college. I really kind of ended up falling into it because I got a part-time job at the jewelry counter at Luria's while I was at school at the University of Florida. I just did it because I said, gee, I need to make some mad money. And I kind of know a little bit about this jewelry thing, which I really didn't. You know, I had worked in my parents' store all of like two hours. I think I helped at inventory one time and, and an event another time, but it seemed like it would be easy and fun to do. So eh, I'll just get a job there. And as my mother put it, I kind of got bit by the jewelry bug. Every time I would call home, I would want to speak to my father about a sale I was working on. She said she no longer heard about my boyfriend or my sorority or my schoolwork. It was like, I'm selling a two carat. Dad, can you help me? What tips do you have? And really, I just kind of very organically loved it. I loved selling. I loved working with jewelry. And then I went and actually got a job for an AGS jeweler. My family's always been a member of the American Gem Society. And I decided I'd like a step up from Luria's. I got involved with the gemology aspect. And I loved selling, loved working with people, loved the merchandise. And really and truly, it, it just sort of happened. I mean, my parents, I think, were shocked as I was. So they never asked you to come beyond that two hours you mentioned. They never had you come in and clean the cases or they sort of left you alone for the bulk of your high school years? They really did. In fact, as time went on, I would work in the store during summers, you know, off from school and it evolved. I graduated from college and then I had already been working in my parents' store by that time, you know, on and off different semesters for about two years. And we kind of had this family powwow about, okay, okay, is this a fad or do you really want to do this? And I said, no, I really want to do this. And I remember my mother was all excited because I was a pretty good salesperson. But I'll tell you, my father was kind of quiet. I didn't understand it at the time, but we later spoke about it. And I said, dad, why were you quiet? He said, it's a hard road to have your own business. And he said, I thought you would be successful at anything you did. And I thought a corporate route somewhere would be best for you. And he said, I just didn't want you to have the burdens of what owning your own business can be. We had that heart to heart talk several years later. And boy, it's wonderful to own your own business, but it is not for the faint of heart. You said it's been how exhilarating it can be and often is, but also how challenging and especially Obviously, we understand over the last couple of years, what's the business been like? Did you have as good a year as so many other people seem to have in 21? Yes, yes. I mean, we were up 48% last year. 48%. If you had told me that at the beginning of the year, I'd say that's not even possible. That's not even possible. Oh my God. And that was up over a very good year. We've been very blessed to have some tremendous growth in the last five years. In particular, we've had double digit growth with the highest being last year. And our January was up 30% over last January, which was also a huge increase. Now our February has not been quite as strong. We're probably going to match what we did last February 
February, but again, last February was way up over the February before that. Who would have thought, you know, I think back when I was at my dining room table after we closed down, you know, for the quarantine period, if you will, we were closed for six weeks. And the very first thing I did when we closed was I redid my cash flow chart. I work off a cash flow spreadsheet and I, I said, oh my gosh, let's do the worst case scenario I can think of. How long can I last? <laughs> you know? And the second we opened back up, it was gangbusters. And when it first happened, I thought, oh, you know what? This is just the boomerang effect. This is just people who've been locked down and have missed a significant birthday or anniversary. Well, honestly, it never did. It kept going strong and it's been amazing. And I feel kind of spoiled. I mean, now if we're not up 30%, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? You said that uh, you changed a lot about your business during COVID. You got more online. You had things like curbside delivery. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. The thing that I think is so interesting about my experience with COVID and, and my company's experience is that the mind shift, the paradigm shift that you had, in other words, my store is in a large freestanding building and we have a very large, nice portico share outside. So, you know, you can drive under the portico and if it's raining and storming out as frequently in Florida, we can run your package right out to you. And that's easy. And we've always done that. Well, we've never called it curbside pickup, right? I mean, we were doing this before COVID, but it was usually for Mr. Smith, who's on his way home from work and he's just got a minute and he wants to swing in and we'll run it out to his car. Or it's an elderly couple that maybe doesn't move so well and wants us to deliver their repair to their car. We were kind of already doing it, but for isolated circumstances, right? We were already selling virtually. We've got several salespeople that are absolute pros. They sell as much over their phone as they almost do in person. You know, they send pictures. I've got one sales associate that does fantastic videos set to music that she'll send to her clients. They were already doing this, but we were doing it for the couple that lives, you know, they're snowbirds. They live in New York part of the year and they live in Florida part of the year. We're communicating with them via the phone when they're in New York. And so what COVID did is it made us take those things things and put them into our everyday thought and our everyday business life. One thing we did add was something called Podium Payments, and there's probably other providers as well, where you can send a secure link to someone via their phone or an email so that they can pay. And we had just started looking into Podium Payments right before we closed down. Well, you better believe the second we closed down, I got that up and running. And we use that Podium Payments now all the time. What's interesting is, yes, we did beef up some of the technological things like our e-commerce on our website. All of us uh, probably needed a little push or most of us to beef up our technological offerings. And when I look back to my business and my own thinking pre-COVID and I look at us now, I go, wow, there really is quite an evolution that occurred, but it's like, I've got to be better going forward to think about these things. Let's not have a pandemic, right? To force my mind to think outside the box. That was one of the lessons that I really learned because as I've already said, we were doing a lot of those things already, but we really were applying them across the board. And that has made such a significant difference in my business. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews help make them possible. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District wherever you may listen. And now, back to the show. So you think a lot of your peers have changed the way you have, or were you maybe perhaps a bit ahead of them? Or do you think that a lot of uh, independents have embraced these new changes? I do. I do, Rob. When I talk to my friends that are retailers, most of us have had a very similar experience. Most of us were, you know, had a pretty good website. Some had e-commerce, some didn't, or the e-commerce wasn't very good. A lot of us were kind of in transition, but I wasn't in a big hurry. It's like I'd already looked into podium payments. I'd already looked into some of these things, but I was taking my time. I mean, you have other things to do in your day versus, boy, as soon as we shut down, I was like, I got to get that going. So yes, I do think there's a lot of independents that embraced the situation because, hey, it's sink or swim. Let's figure out what we can do. Let's be creative. And a lot of people had to be very creative about how we sold and how we did things. But I think what happened is, okay, we were forced to during the pandemic. And we said, hey, that thing worked pretty good. Let's just go ahead and keep that in place. I think many independents had a similar experience to mine. And I, and I hate to say it, if you didn't, I think you need to wake up and examine your thinking because one thing's for certain, it's change, right? And we've always got to be thinking about how do we stay relevant? How do we evolve to stay current? It's that intentionality that you now have that before it just sounds like it was sort of here and there, a little slapdash. I'm curious, you mentioned podium payments. Are there any other technologies or innovations you've either implemented or you're thinking about implementing soon that have come up on your radar as a result of you know all this newfound sense of how we need to meet our customers where they're at and all the convenience that's come out of COVID? Anything else besides podium payments? Well, I think it forced us to get our systems for e-commerce more organized. What are we doing when we get this order? Because we did see an increase in ordering online and even broadening your e-commerce and partnering with like a vendor so that the vendor is actually fulfilling the order, but we're taking the order. And it's even small things like setting up an office that the sales team can really go in and shut the door and use it for a virtual appointment. I mean, we were doing it before, but we were kind of doing it, you know, a little loosey-goosey. They would go to this corner of the store. They would kind of do it right on the sales floor. Well, now we have an area set up for them because again, it's more intentional. Now it's a regular part of our business. It's the norm. It's not the exception anymore. Not that people still don't like to come in, but really it showed to me how intertwined and how much of a synergy your digital presence, your digital technological side of your business is with the in-person part of your business. I think in the old days, we used to think of them as two different realms, but really I've come to see that they really are so intertwined. And that's why your digital experience, the website, the virtual appointments all has to kind of be in sync. So you were mentioning that some of your people have long sold virtually. So now does everybody kind of do that? And what, you know, how is that different from your kind of standard selling? How have you found that different? Well, now the entire sales team does it. Whereas before COVID, my two top salespeople, they're very intentional about their clienteling. So they were doing it. Also, both of them were technologically savvy people. I had a salesperson who would not only communicate using pictures, she would FaceTime and she would literally get a selection of jewelry and put it to a video and put music on it and send it to the client, which the client loved. So two of them were doing it. Okay, well now 
the entire sales team knows how to do it. They do it regularly. I would say we do a lot more videos because we find that, first of all, you can see the jewelry better, right? Uh, we'll often walk outside on the sunny day and put that diamond ring on your hand and the sales associate will take a video and they'll actually talk and say, hi, Monica, this is Holly at Weshies. Look at this fabulous new diamond ring I've gotten in because the video really shows, right? The sparkle and movement, you know, the diamond ring. The level of what we're sending to customers is a little more sophisticated a lot more creative than just that still picture. You know, here's three diamond bracelets that we lined up on a pad, you know, and you would just take a photo and you would send that to Mr. Smith. Now those three bracelets are going on a wrist and it's a video and we're talking over the video. It's much more interesting because again, it helps the customer to really see the piece better and you're kind of selling it, just doing it over the phone, over video, over FaceTime. You mentioned that one of your sales associates was already sort of savvy and FaceTiming and so on. And she would put these videos to music. It almost makes me think of like TikTok. Are you guys on TikTok? Are you exploring being on TikTok? Well, we are. We have a new marketing manager starting. So I'm hoping she can spearhead that. Plus one of the sales associates, this gal who's pretty advanced technologically, and she's very social media savvy. She's going to work with her on that because uh, she herself is a pretty good following. And you, I think... You told me that you changed the way you do store events in that you're more limiting now. Events for us were and still are a very big deal. It's a very high percentage of the volume we do. We're really good at events. So when COVID happened, I said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about these events? So we pulled the team together and we just had a powwow at a store meeting. And I think we had been open about six weeks, two months in our first event that had been scheduled was upon us. And we were like, how are we gonna do this? And literally one of the sales ladies said, well, why don't we just close for the day? Like only have it by appointment only. Now to my old school way of thinking, you would never be closed in an event. Now, yes, we've done some private for VIP customers where we've closed, but I've never closed for the day. In fact, quite the opposite, right? You want the more the merrier. We said, okay, we're going to have to do it this way because it's the only way to do it. We kind of don't have a choice if we're going to host the event and we'll space out the appointments. And we were blessed that we had the square footage to space people out. So we did it. And oh my goodness, people loved it. They loved the exclusivity. The sales team loved it because they're not trying to balance three customers at once. You know, here you're at an event and somebody comes in and wants a watch battery changed, right? You know, the salesperson really doesn't want to do that. They want to be selling at the event. So everybody that attended the event was really focused on the event. The sales team loved it. The clients loved it. So for a whole year, we did it that way. And even now to this day, we kind of look at the type of event it is and about half of them we still close to the public. And the other half, we do it sort of the old way where we have the event and we're also open to the public. We had the biggest events of our history in those closed events that we had where you had to have an appointment. I love it that when something you would never have thought about five years ago and you would have poo-pooed probably saying, how can we do that? I love it when you are proven wrong in the most spectacular way. Yeah. I mean, why would you keep people out, right? Isn't that the whole point of the event? You know, bring them in, the more the merrier. Right. 
it worked out super well. That's awesome. I want to shift a little bit because I really want to ask you about product trends. I want to ask you what you've seen, I guess, in the start of 22 or what, what you think might be from 21 trends that continue to build this year, what you're seeing, anything new in particular that feels fresh to you as a trend or a style, a color, whatever it is. Well, I would say big diamonds, <laughs> big diamonds. Um, there's not really a specific trend as far as like the three stone ring or the tennis bracelet years ago. We we see sales are fantastic across the board, but I will say we've seen larger sales, larger diamond stud earring sales, larger single diamond sales. We've probably sold more larger diamonds, you know, three carat, four carat, five carat in the last 18 months or so than we probably did the prior five years combined or something. I mean, really, it's amazing. Everybody said, gee, I think I'll upgrade my diamond or I'd like a bigger diamond. But as far as style, we really are seeing across the board, it's just all selling well. In fact, my merchandise manager and I, we did an analysis of vendor performance and category performance for the year 2021. You know, it, it's a solid performance across the board with the exception, bigger diamond have sold much more. You're very active in a lot of... Uh industry associations. I think you were chairman of uh, Jewels of America. Can you explain, I mean, what, what do you get out of that and why is that important to you? My initial involvement started because that's sort of what I witnessed my father and my great uncle do in particular. My father was uh, president of Florida Jewelers Association. My great uncle was president of Florida Jewelers Association. I went to my first Florida Jewelers Association convention many, many years ago and got involved on a committee and then I was asked to serve on the board. And then I became president of Florida Jewelers Association. It just sort of, again, happened organically. I liked to be helpful. You learn so much by being involved at the industry level from a selfish perspective. You really do learn a lot about the industry and the big picture, whether it's the Jewelers of America board, American Gems Society board, Jewelers Vigilance Committee. There's many places that one can serve. I feel like the jewelry industry has been very good to me and to my family. And it's just one way to give back. I've made some wonderful relationships in the industry because of that. And it's nice to know people if you have a question to be able to reach out to someone in this area that you may be having a challenge with. So it's been a very gratifying experience. And I think it was just already placed in my mindset since that's what I saw. Do you feel that the independent jeweler as a I guess a species. I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> Do you worry that as brands, you know, I, I always hear when I speak to um, people like Cartier and Van Cleef and Bulgari and how they talk about how much white space there is for brands in the jewelry category, that so much of it is still generic. Do you ever worry that those brands will encroach on what you do or what independent jewelers across the country do? You know, I think that's a good question. I have to tell you that I really don't. I feel strongly that the independent jeweler is alive and well. And in fact, I think there is a bright future for us as long as we do keep evolving and stay relevant. We can't do things the same way my great uncle did them, for example, it was successful in his era, but we need to do things differently now. So I think it's critically important to keep our minds open and to try new things, to pay attention as new generations come along. How do they shop? They shop differently. Millennial shops may be differently than I do as a baby boomer. But I think the experience 
the connection with our client, the relationship that we offer our client is something that is very difficult for a brand to do on its own. The experience we offer in our store, I think that's very difficult to replicate elsewhere. So I think our future is very, very bright with the caveat that we continue to evolve and stay relevant and pay attention to new ways of doing business. Amen. All right. That's a great note to end on. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. You're such an inspiration. Any independent jeweler that's listening to this, I can't imagine they're not going to be looking up your website and figuring out how they can embody some of these ideals you've mentioned and some of the changes you've embraced. It sounds like you're doing everything right. So congratulations. Well, you're nice to say that, you know, look, the second we think we're doing everything perfectly is the time we fall behind, right? You know, talking about industry involvement, the other benefit is the connection, hearing what others are doing, right? Oh, I didn't know you can do that. How do you do that? That is really uh, a benefit of being involved is to be able to learn what others are doing and then apply them in your own business. Because, hey, we all want to help each other. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Really so nice to chat with you. It went so quickly. Thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.